Man, we're in part six of the Moses series. Moses, last week, Pastor Jason talked about Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. God literally did the craziest thing ever. He's like, I'm going to open up the water. You're going to go through it. And the Egyptian army followed them in, and then God closed the water on them and killed them, destroyed them. Talk about an exit strategy. That's a pretty exit strategy, right? That's pretty good. Hey, does someone want to grab the other mic in the back and bring it up to me? Thank you. This one goes in and out. So that's a great exit strategy. Some of y'all, when you quit your job, that's your exit strategy. You're like, I'm going to blow this place up, man. Forget them. Close the waters on them. Jesus in his name. But no, I'm just kidding. We see this crazy cycle that the Israelites have, though. And the cycle is, um, is pretty wild, and, and I want to point it out to you. It's three days after um, God totally, utterly destroys the Egyptian army. They're praising God. They're thanking him. They're worshiping him. And then what, is, what happens? Moses says, let's go. Let's go up into the mountain. And they get there, and they start complaining. And literally, it only takes three days from the miracle, and they're mad at Moses, and they're like, bro, Get us back to Egypt. This place stinks. We're thirsty. There's no water. How many of y'all have ever been thirsty? And I'm talking like thirsty, thirsty. One time when I was growing up, we went out to Mammoth. My parents got a good deal because we went during the summer. They were like, it's great. It's beautiful. It was 100 degrees. It was 100 degrees in Mammoth, and my parents were like, let's go on a hike. And I said, okay, let's go on a hike. So we're going, and we're walking, and, and we bought some water bottles. We each had our water bottle, me, my brother, my mom, and my dad. And there's always that one person who always drinks all their water. You know who I'm talking about. We call them the camel. They drink their water, and then they want your water. They're like, I'm thirsty. They're complaining. You're like, bro, you just drank 20 ounces of water. Why are you complaining? It was 100 degrees. We got like three miles into it. And we're like, what are we doing? Almost all the water's gone. That's when it gets carnal. Like someone's going to die. It's survival of the fittest. And I was the youngest, and it was like, I'm just getting out of here as fast as I can. But these people were thirsty, and they start complaining to Moses. And, and long story short, Moses cries out to God. God's like, I want you to throw this stick in the water. The water that they actually found ended up being salt water. So to make matters worse, Moses is like, there's water over there. And everyone's like, thank God, because we're about to kill you. And they're like, oh. My, this is salt water, bro. We about to, we're gonna kill you now. And God's like, listen, throw a stick in the water. And I, I wouldn't have thrown it. I'd have been like, forget that stick. Get that stick in the water. But the water turns sweet. And this is the cycle that we see the the Israelites fall into. And I think we fall into this cycle. Are you ready? Because I'm ready to preach today. The cycle is this. First comes abundance. God always brings abundance. And when there's abundance, what our natural tendency is to look up. God is so good. How many of you know it's easy to praise when things are going good, man? When God's bringing the abundance, we get excited. The next thing is when we're living in the abundance, we grow this healthy expectation. So we start to look ahead. Man, God, God is so good. Man, God can do infinitely and abundantly more. So we grow this expectation. And this is what happens. They get this expectation. They were, you know, they experience this miracle. And they're like, all right, we can keep going. We can look ahead. And the next cycle is disappointment. And the Israelites would get disappointed. They were upset. And this is when they start to look down. They're like, where's the water at? Where's the water? Because I'm, I'm, and then what happens is after disappointment comes complaint. And this is when they started to look back, and you see this. And now that I point this out, as we read through the book of Exodus, you're going to see the Israelites fall into this cycle. Complaining turns into looking back. And then it was, man, it was better in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here? Why are you doing this? And then God is always faithful to bring provision. And when God brings provision, we look around. 
we look around. You can go to that next. Yeah, there we go. God brings provision. I want to take you to Exodus 16 so you can see this cycle again. Literally, three days later, so a few days after this incident with the water, that Moses actually leads them to an oasis, and there were 200 date trees. That was like, that was like the sugar shack back then, all right? They're like, these are date trees. Now you eat a date, and you're like, get that out of here, bro. I'm going to crumble cookie. I don't want no date. But there were date trees and water, and Moses leads them to this oasis, and it says this, then the whole community, verse 1, of Israel set out from Elim and journeyed into the wilderness of Zen. Not Sin, Zen, okay? Between Elim and Mount Sinai. And it goes on to say, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel, what? Complained about Moses and Aaron. And this is what they said. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They were mad. They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat, ate all the bread we wanted, but now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. How many of y'all ever been hangry? Okay, y'all get, y'all get hangry four hours after a meal. They had been like a few days without like meat. You know, they had some food, but they wanted meat and they started complaining again. So they go from this incredible miracle and then, you know, somewhere in between provision, they, they land in complaint and they're, they're upset, they're mad and they're saying, if only we would have died. And it sounds a little over the top to me, but here's what happens. Moses goes to God and he's like, God, they're doing it again. They're upset. I know they're ridiculous. And God goes, listen, here's what I'm going to do. In the morning, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. And at night, I'm going to rain down quail from heaven. Booyah, right? Literally, that's like a bachelor's dream. Could you imagine waking up in the morning and be like, oh my gosh, there's breakfast right there. You freaking eat so much food. You fatten yourself up and then you're like, all right, I think it's about time to eat again. Oh, here comes the quail. All right, it's time to eat some meat. God made it so easy. I'm sure they actually got mad, though. They were probably like, God, if you can do this miracle and you can rain down food from heaven, why would I have to go out and get it? Because the Bible said that they had to go out and get it. So they're like, God, couldn't you like just take the miracle up a notch and put it in a basket or something? Why do I go out? Why do I got to go and work for it? Or maybe today you're like, man, couldn't you just put it in my cupboard, the food in my cupboard? But I got news for you. Sometimes you miss out on the miracle of God because you're sitting at home waiting for it. The miracle was outside. It wasn't in their home. The miracle was something they had to go get, but God provided for them. But Shortly after this, what do we find in chapter 17? We find the Israelites in this cycle again. I'm not going to preach about this for 30 more minutes, okay? Trust me. But I just want to show you one more time. They amp it up again. The people are fighting with Moses because they were thirsty again. Exodus 17.3, it says, But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? They're looking back again. Our children and our livestock with thirst... In this previous passage that we read, they were just grumbling. You'll notice that word. They were grumbling with Moses. They were just upset. But now it had amped up from grumbling to full-on dispute. They were arguing with Moses. You could be upset and not really 
challenge someone. You could be mad and it show, and I know you're mad, but when you're arguing, you are engaging in dispute. They were upset. This, this was kind of the last straw for the people. This wasn't just we're grumbling again. This was a full-on argument with Moses, and this is what Moses says and how we know it. In 17 verse 4, it says, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. They were ready to kill Moses. Here's the cycle again. Somewhere in the middle of expectation and abundance, the people lost faith in God. And that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we go into the valley. We land on hard times. We start complaining. We start looking back. We lose hope and lose faith, but God is always faithful to bring provision. But we lost hope. They lost hope. And I think at this point, Moses, like most of us, would be ready to call it quits. He'd say, these people are crazy. These people are toxic. And I'm not talking like one or two toxic people. Because we know toxic people. Like everyone in this room knows at least one toxic person, right? And maybe you're sitting next to them. Don't say anything. Maybe you are. the. And, and I'm not even talking about three toxic people. Y'all, I can handle like a few toxic people. I can't handle 10, right? Like, you can't handle 10. There were 2.5 million Israelites in the wilderness. How many toxic people do you think were out there? I think a lot more than you and I can handle. And so he's out there, and he's, and and this is the thing about it. Like, Moses, surrounded by this toxicity, couldn't be like, well, I'm just going to take a break. Because they're in the wilderness. Like, I'm going to go on a vacation. It's self-care. I'm going to have some self-care time. You know, I think we say that sometimes, like, I just need a break, and I'm going to go and get some self-care time. I just really can't handle them. And we're like, they're your kids. You can't take a break from your kids. Dads know what I'm talking about. My wife was gone for four days. I don't know how they got fed or bathed or put in bed. It was a miracle of God. It was the provision of God. I needed a break, so I'm here preaching for self I'm just kidding. Isn't that true? We, we, he was surrounded by these toxic people. And in and, and our instance, what we want to do when times get difficult is we want to push people away. It's like, I don't want to be around unhealthy people. I don't want to be around tension. I'd rather, I'd rather be comfortable. How many of you would rather be comfortable? I'd rather be comfortable. You're afraid. It's not a trick question. It's okay to be comfortable, all right? That's why we're in the AC. But people are tiring. Moses thought this. Moses was like, hey, people are hurtful. People are draining. People are sucking the life out of me. They're stealing my joy, my passion. And Moses had a passion to see his people free, set free. If you remember when Moses was in Egypt and he saw an Egyptian abusing a slave, what did he do? He killed him. He was passionate about seeing his people set free from oppression. He was passionate about seeing them delivered. He was devoted to the cause, but the same people he was passionate about were driving him crazy and leading him to this place of burnout and defeat. And rightfully so, because the people he was trying to rescue were trying to kill him. And I don't know about you, but no one's ever tried to kill me. Like, you, be, you figure out who you are, fight or flight. Maybe some of you have, like, almost been killed and someone tried to kill you. I don't know. Maybe you're from the hood or something. But where I grew up, like, nobody tried to kill me. You know, it was like, they might have said it, you know. Nowadays, it's like, well, they said it on social media. They said they were going to, I don't know. Anyways, but no one, like, they were trying to kill him. There was no getting away from it. There was no isolation. But what we would want to do is run and get away from that. Have you ever tried to help someone? And then they get mad at you. 
Come on, you know what I'm talking about when you're like, hey man, I'm here to help you. And then they're like, don't help me, I can do it myself. You're like, all right, what do we do? We're like, fine, I'm, I'm gonna go. That was Moses. He's like, listen, I'm just trying to get you into the promised land and you're mad at me. I'm trying to help you. But our response, what's your, my response when I try to help someone and they get mad at me? I'm like, okay, dude, later, good luck. Yeah, you're, and I'll watch you film. Like, all right, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. You, you're done. Right? That would be the natural excuse, but Moses didn't do that. Moses didn't get, give up. He wanted to help. He believed in them. He was in a tough predicament, and the challenge Moses had and that everyone else has is that when it comes, when we come against opposition from people, it's easier just to embrace isolation and do it alone than to embrace conflict and tension. It's easier to say, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do it my own way than work it out. It's easier to do it alone. He could have very easily done it alone. And some of you today, you've been hurt by people. Some of you have been let down, maybe by a friend, maybe even a family member. It crushed you. To this day, you live your life differently because of it. You've experienced that pain. And to protect yourself from the pain of fighting, you've put walls up. And some of those walls, God never intended for, to be there. But to justify putting walls up, you just call them boundaries. You're like, well, this wall's a boundary. I read in a book one time I needed a boundary. And you created them to protect you, but they might be keeping you from God's best for your life. They might be keeping you from the very people God wanted to surround you with to elevate you, that God wanted to surround you with to pull you out of the circumstance, the situation you're in. They might be unintentionally leading you into isolation. You weren't meant to do life alone, but life presents itself to be easier sometimes if we just do it alone. But God's design isn't for us to go alone, even though it's easier. In today's message, I'm calling the isolation trap. Because today, our society and our culture is making it so easy for us to want to isolate. They're selling us on the fact that we're more connected than ever, but we're actually more isolated than ever. I'm more connected to more people than ever, but no one actually knows who I am. That's what we're sold. This is what we're existing in, what we're living in. And what we're, what we're told is if you want less problems, just don't engage with people. Well, if they don't agree with you, don't engage with them. Just engage with those who agree with you. And when tensions rise up and things get crazy in politics, just don't talk about it. Like, just shut your mouth. Don't say anything. It's better just, just isolate. You'll, you'll have less problems that way, but that's not what God is calling us into. So we avoid conflict and division by choosing isolation. Deep down, we know we shouldn't do life alone, but it presents itself as a good solution at times. But what I love is that here at Discovery, we embrace community. I hear time and time again stories about men and women who are saying, man, I got connected to a group and people actually got to know me and it changed my life. I didn't have to walk through this alone. I'll never forget there was um, the first week of small group and, and um, you know, like the next week everybody has like something that happens and they can't come to small group. And so you lose like 30% of your group, whatever, heathens, heathens. No, I'm kidding. So this, this lady, <laughs> um, she didn't come to the second group and and she reached out and she said, hey, I'm not going to be there tonight. I just found out I have cancer. And so we went to our group and we said, hey, you might not know them, but she was here at the group and um, she actually was just diagnosed with cancer. And can we just pray for her? 
And so we prayed for her. What I didn't know was that someone in the group reached out to her, got her number, and took care of her for three months and brought her groceries for three months, who began to step into her life and walk with her. That happens in community. If she, wasn't in, if she didn't come to just one small group, she wouldn't have had that. She said, that, that lady changed my life. She helped me through the hardest season I've ever been through. I love the community at Discovery Church. Come on, we need each other. We need groups. We need to be connected but we try to do it ourselves. And why is that? Why is our, our, our focus on going alone, why is it so easy for us to isolate? And I think there are some traps that Moses could have fallen into that we fall into sometimes that, that force us to choosing isolation. And we start believing these things and generalizing them, and it drives us into isolation. So I want to identify some isolation traps that we could fall in that could push us into doing life alone. And the first one is this. We say people are difficult. Well, Brennan, people are difficult, and so we choose isolation. The Israelites were broken, depressed, and depressing. They complained, and sometimes we resist community or people because we generalize and say all people are bad, but the truth is, is that, and how many of you know, the haters and complainers are the loudest, so it seems like the majority is hating and complaining, but they're the, they're the, they're the minority, but they're just the loudest in our life. So we can't say, people are difficult. I'm just going to push everyone away because some are bad, because some are loud. Moses could have just done it alone or given up. He could have been deceived into thinking those voices represented everyone. He could have said, everyone hates me, everyone is toxic. But there were still great people around him. There were still God-honoring people around him. Church, there are still great men and women of God here today. Not everyone is bad. There are great men of God, man, who God wants to walk with you. Woman of God, there are great women around you right now, and God wants you to let them in and stop pushing people away. God's best for your life is found in relationship and community. We got to stop pushing people away. We got to stop giving up on people. Plus, Moses never gave up on the people, and we shouldn't either. Just because a lot of people are difficult, it doesn't mean we give up. I love 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says this, love never gives up on people. Does it ever give up on people? It never gives up on people. It never stops trusting people. We've stopped trusting people, but it never loses hope, and it never quits. Moses never quit. We've got to stop saying people are difficult and allowing that to drive us into isolation. The second thing is we need to stop saying it's our plan. Because oftentimes we're actually planning to do it alone. Oftentimes we see struggles and challenges and our plan is that we'll do it alone. Well, I'll just do this alone. It's my plan anyways. You know, I'm the one who, it's my thought. Like, it's my plan. I can do it by myself. I don't need anyone else. But are we setting it up to include people? When you have a decision you need to make, are you setting that up to include others in your life? Are you bringing people in? Or is it your plan and something that's just yours? Because the truth is, is I think a lot of times we're actually planning just to do it alone. We're actually planning isolation. We're planning to walk alone. We don't even consider bringing anyone in. And I think the problem is that sometimes we get so committed to our own plans that we actually hurt ourselves and those around us. So we're, we're so hell-bent on our plan being executed our way, and in the process, we hurt everyone around us. And sometimes we get so prideful, maybe even arrogant. Can I say that? 
and so stubborn that we can't accept, accept that the plan we are chasing is our plan and not God's plan anyways. We start chasing this plan because God's plan is not for you to do it alone. So if you're in a plan right now that just involves you and you're choosing isolation and choosing to do it alone, I can tell you right now it will be better if you did it with someone else. It would be better if you didn't walk alone. That's not God's plan. We get committed to our plans and not God's plans. Some people are so arrogant they can't surrender their plan even though God has a better plan. And then what happens is it's amazing. They don't surrender their plan to God, and then when it doesn't work out, who do they blame? They blame God. God, you didn't, you didn't help me, but you never let God into it. You didn't surrender it in the first place. You know, I love this guy, man, and you start dating this guy, and all of a sudden it doesn't work out. God, why did you let him do that to me? You didn't even ask me if he was a good guy. This happens all the time. Surrender your plan to God. Stop saying, it's my plan. I'm going to do it alone. We need to be surrendered first. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. You can't begin to listen if you want to be wise. I think we all want to be wise. You can't even begin to listen if no one is around you. You'd hear nothing. So how does isolation help you? The only way we're going to grow wise is if we get some people around us. If this is the challenge for you, where you're so bought into your plan, doing it alone, doing it your own way, there's, there's one key to fighting arrogance, and it's this. We need to be surrendered before we're committed. God, I'm going to surrender this to you before I commit to it. I'm not going to do it backwards. Doing it backwards is committing and saying, God, bail me out, bail me out, bail me out, bail me out, bail me out. Uh! No, surrender. God, is this what you want me to do? No, it's not. Okay. Not, I'm going to do it anyways. I hope it doesn't hurt. No, I'm surrendered before I get committed. We need to be surrendered before we're committed. The next isolation trap, when we think that we need to do it alone, we're going to go alone, is we start thinking we don't need help. Well, I don't need help. I can do it alone because I, I just don't need help. And I love this, you know, to pick up the story. This could have been Moses' solution. Moses was surrounded by these people who were Horrible people hating him, trying to kill him. You walk differently after someone tries to kill you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't trust anyone. You're on pins and needles. It's like, you know, yeah, you say you like me now because, like, bread and, and food has fallen from heaven. But the other day, you were wanting to kill me. You know, like, you don't just forget about that, right? You remember that. And so here Moses is. Finally, the people are, are somewhat happy again. But then to make matters worse or... To put the cherry on top, as my grandpa would say, suddenly the Israelites find themselves being attacked by the Amalekites. To make matters worse, they're about to face war with the Amalekites. And I want to tell you something. When you're at war or being attacked, you need people. There's no option to do it alone. You, you can't. And, and we all agree on that, right? It wouldn't be like, all right, we're going to go to war with Russia and I'm going by myself, Rambo style, suckers, let's go. You don't do that. It doesn't work. It works in the movies, but not in real life. Like, you need people if you're going to go to war. And so the Amalekites are coming. And here's the truth I want to tell you. Some of you are in the biggest battle you've ever faced in your life, but you're doing it all alone. Some of you are in the midst of one of the largest tensions, one of the largest challenges, and you're all alone. You cannot get the victory in the battle if you go alone. You've got to bring someone with you. Come on now. Okay, well, wake them up now. 
Let's read this, because this is what happened in verse 9 through 11, Exodus 17. Moses said to Joshua, on the midst of battle, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands, because y'all know we're going to need Jesus if we're going to do this. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill, and it goes on to say this. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Did you catch that? When Moses was strong, when he was in his own strength and kept his hands up, they were winning. But eventually, when his strength failed and he lowered his hands and they were losing. You only have so much to give. You might be strong. You might be weathered. You might be able to withstand the storm, but if you want to find yourself alone, try to weather the storm by yourself. You might be able to make it out through the storm on the other side, but your family might not be able to. Are you hearing this right now? You've been trying to do it in your own strength, and you wonder why you're all alone because you haven't surrendered to let people into your life. You might think you can weather it, but you can't. Your strength will only get you so far. At some point, we need to admit we need help. God was teaching Moses something here, and I believe he's teaching us something. And this is what I think God is trying to teach us. Please hear this. You can start something in your own strength, but if you want to finish it, you're going to need people. You can start it right now by yourself, but if you're going to finish it, you're going to need people. Come on, someone say, I need people. I can't do it alone. You might even be doing a noble thing. You might be doing a God thing, but if you're going to get the victory, you can't do it alone. And here's the, the, the final trap, isolation trap. We say we're too busy to stop and ask for help. Some of us run at a speed that will eventually leave us empty. We're so busy and caught up in the whirlwind that to stop and ask for help would take too long, so we don't want to do it. I don't want to stop. I can't stop. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy fulfilling all the needs of the people. But the problem is we're running alone. And some of us, we're so busy because naturally we're so good at seeing the needs of other people, all the while not seeing our own needs. This isn't, this, this challenge of being too busy to stop and ask for help usually isn't pride driven. It's usually driven by a desire to want to be the one to help. But the best way to help is to bring some people with you. We can't do it alone. We feel so busy. We say, well, I can't stop. I can't pause. I, I can't, I just can't rest. In this season, I'm, I'm just too busy. I can't do it. And so the result of that is that the time we do have when we're not working is we'd rather veg out, binge on Netflix for eight hours, and don't even lie, you're just trying to catch up on Stranger Things. You know what I'm saying? And you do that instead of asking for help. We'd rather just isolate. Well, leave me alone. I need my space. I just need space. I'm so busy. I'm... I just, leave me alone. And, but here's the problem. If we're not careful, we start using our stress as an excuse to get out of our responsibilities. And this takes place most at home. We get home, we're so stressed out by everything around us that all we want to do is isolate. And you, in the meantime, you've got kids and a wife and a family, and they don't want you to isolate. But you isolate, and you start saying, I'm busy. I need to unwind. Give me my space. Give me my space. Give me my space. I, I just need to be alone. All the while, your responsibilities are failing. You think you're too busy to stop and ask for help. We need to stop and ask for help. These are really four burnout traps because if you try to do it alone, if you just think people are difficult, work your plan or not let anyone in, you're going to find yourself burnt out and on the verge of quitting. And maybe you are burnt out 
Maybe right now, you, if you were honest, you'd say, dude, I am at the end of my, my road. You know, I thought summer was going to be smooth sailing, but I'm struggling. I feel the tension, the pressure, whatever that is. Our natural response to burnout is to quit. Moses could have quit, but he didn't. But I want to tell you that one of the solutions to burnout is to not give up. One of the solutions to getting through is saying, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. Moses didn't say, I need a break from all this. He actually found a better rhythm. So for those of you thinking, I'm burnt out. I need a break. I need a month off. I need a month off for my kids. You don't actually have a burnout problem. You've got a rhythm problem. You don't have a burnout problem. You have a rhythm problem. And I need to talk to some people today that believe there's a better way and a better rhythm. How many of you believe today that, man, there's a better rhythm for my life that I could find? Come on, do you believe that? Do you believe there's a better way? I'm here to tell you that if you're here and you're saying, man, it's just, but I don't need a better way. Like, this is just my life, Brennan. I know this all sounds great, a better rhythm and all that. Like, that's catchy. But, bro, I've been doing life like this for 20 years, and this is, this is just my speed of life. This is how I do it. And so for you to think that, that things could be better, I mean, maybe they could, but, but this is my rhythm, man. Like, I just do, this is how I do it. I, problems happen, and whatever, man, I deal with it by myself. I want to tell you right now, your current struggles don't have to be permanent. So what you're calling normal might actually be a struggle and something God wants to deliver you from. There's a better rhythm and a better way. Moses was busy. He, he was on the verge of even burnout trying to take these people, maybe even drag these stiff-necked people into the promised land. He's like, hey, come on, let's go. We're going to the promised land. If you just would shut up. Can I say that? I'm going to get fired. Shut up and come with me. You'll be fine. Stop complaining. It's going to be okay. Let's look at what Moses did because he could have easily let his problems and his trials kill him in his ministry. But the page turned for Moses. So let's figure out what the word of God is saying. I love this. And you know what I love is Moses was 80 years old. Homie still had moves at 80, all right? Like, y'all, I'm 33 and I'm like, I'm tired already. He was 80 and God was using him to do incredible things. But you can't do it alone. So let's see what the word of God was saying. I love this. The first thing I believe that that we need to do if we're going to get healthy and we're going to get a new rhythm is we need to let someone in. You need to let someone in today. This is where we pick up the story in chapter 18. Moses has settled at Mount Sinai and he gets this message from his father-in-law. His father-in-law, the Bible said, had heard of everything that, that God had done and how God had rescued the Israelites and he sends this message to Moses, he says, Moses, I'm, I'm coming to see you. And the backstory here is that before Moses went to Pharaoh, he actually sent his wife and his two sons back to his father-in-law in Midian because he knew if he was in Egypt challenging Pharaoh, Pharaoh might try to kill his kids and his wife, right? It's like, you're going to mess with me? I'll kill your kids. And he's like, nope, I'm taking that off the table. So he sends them to his father-in-law. His father-in-law sends him this message. And he says, I'm coming to visit you. And you've got to understand, 2.5 million people in the wilderness, word travels quick. So I'm sure Moses knew when his father-in-law was getting close. And this is where we pick up the story in Exodus 18, verse 7. Jethro says, Moses, I'm coming to see you. And this is what it says. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. I kind of want to stop right here for a second. When you need help, do you wait or do you go out looking for it? Moses was at a place where he said, I need some help. I can't do this alone. So he went out to meet his father-in-law. Some of y'all never went out to meet your father-in-law, all right? Let's just get real. It's like, man, my father-in-law can come to me. 
Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And this is what he did. He bowed low and kissed him. Now, for real, though, we're going to draw the line. If you've ever bowed down to your father-in-law and kissed him, you got problems, okay? Let's just talk about that. Let's talk afterwards. We'll help you man up. There's a book for that. Pastor Jason wrote it. <laughs> and this is, this is it. They, they asked about, look at this. They asked about each other's welfare. And you know what that was? That was small talk. Hey, man, how you doing? We do this all the time. You're going to do it when you walk out of this room. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are the kids? They're good. I call it like the, the politician where I'm just like shaking hands and kissing babies. You know, you really don't get into anything, but it's like, oh, you're good. Good. I'm glad you're good, bro. Everything good on your front? Oh, great over here, man. Family's great. Beautiful kids. Yeah, I'll see you next week. That was it. That's what that was. Some of us never go beyond that. Some of us never go beyond how are you doing. Look what happened. They talked about it, and then they went into Moses' tent. Then they said, listen, let's go deeper. Let's not be content with just talking. Let's not be content with just a passerby relationship. That's an artificial relationship. That's not true relationship. That's actually isolation. You think you're so connected because you can talk to anyone, because you talk to people like that, but they don't even know you. That doesn't get to the core of who you are or what you're struggling with. But what Moses does is he says, listen, come into my tent. And here's the other thought, too. Moses was the boss. He could have been like, my father-in-law's coming. Y'all better get him his own tent. He ain't sleeping with me, all right? He's not coming into my tent. That's my space. That's my private place. That's my sanctuary. That's the place I can go to get alone. Y'all, my grandpa's 86 years old. He lives in Texas. And he called me like a few months ago, and he's like, I'm coming to see you and the grandkids. I was like, Grandpa, for real? You got to tell me when you're, you can't just show up. He's like, all right, I'll give you my dates. He texts me. He's like, I'm coming for two weeks. I called him. I was like, Grandpa, you cannot come for two weeks, all right? You can come for like four days, okay? We got a life over here. But that's how he was. He was like, you know, I'm just going to tell you what's up and tell you how to do it. And he came with me, and I love this because this is what happened. Moses, he invited Jethro into his tent, and he could have prepared a place for him, but he invited him in. He invited him into his space. And this is the truth. You need to let someone in. And I have a question for you. When was the last time someone stepped into your home? No, really, like, not a family member. When was the last time you just invited someone over to your home? Because it's different, right? Like, coming into my home is different than just inviting you into conversation after church or at the store or at the game. It's different. When was the last time you invited someone into your home? I can tell you why we don't have people come over. We don't want to let anyone in. And, and it's not just into our home because it's messy. We, we don't want to let anyone in to our lives, our mess, our troubles. And then when they do come in, we're like, well, don't look in the closet, you know, like clean the house up real good before people come over. This isn't good. I do this all the time. I'm like, hey, babe, someone's coming over tonight. We're going to be hanging out. She's like, the house is a mess. All right, we'll come home. We work our butts off for an hour. The doorbell rings. We're like, how you doing? It's always this clean. Our house is always this clean, but don't go in that room. Don't go. Bathroom's right over there. Don't go in that one. You know, kids, if you open the doors, we will spank you, okay? It's really messy in there. Don't go in mommy and daddy's room. We don't want people seeing that. And, and you know, it's funny because we don't just try to keep people out of our, our physical mess. We try to keep them out of our mess in here. Well, I can invite someone over, but you need to let them in. And this is, this is what Moses did. Look at verse 8. Moses lets him into his tent, but then Moses let him into everything. It says, Moses told his father-in-law everything. He didn't leave anything out. Everything the Lord had done, you know, to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He celebrated what God did. And he goes on to say this. 
He also told about all the hardships. I need you to notice this. Sometimes when we let people in, we only tell them about the good things in our life. We only say, oh, the kids are good. This is good. This is good. Moses said, no, I need to also tell you about all the hardships. These people are crazy. They tried to kill me. He's like, all right, now that you're in the tent, all those people that you thought were cool, forget them, forget them, forget, yeah, the guy who, who like helped you off your donkey, he's the worst. He tried to kill, you know what I mean? So he opened up, he shared his whole life with Jethro. He didn't hold on to anything. He let him into his mess. He invited him into his home. And, and he said, man, the, but, but at the end of that, but at the end of every struggle, the Lord rescued us. At the end of every hardship, I know God's been faithful, but he didn't hold back. Some of us are holding back. We're, we're so close to letting people into our life. We're so close to breakthrough. And if Moses would have held back, I'm telling you right now, he wouldn't have got the breakthrough we're about to see. How many of you are ready for some breakthrough? But we need to understand this. Before someone can speak into your life, you have to let them into your life. I'm going to say that again. No one will be able to speak into your life if they are not let into your life. I talk to people all the time who say, I'm just, I'm hungry, Brandon. Hungry for advice. What should I do? Man, I just want some feedback in my life. Really? Are you letting anyone in your life? We have to let someone in. Someone needs to be let into your life. Someone needs to be let into your junk. But for some of you, your problem isn't letting someone in. Your problem is who you're letting into your life. Some of you have no problem letting people into your junk, but you're letting the wrong people speak into your life. And the reason why you're not afraid to tell them your junk is because deep down inside, you know they're more jacked up than you are. But the advice you're getting is bad advice. And then you wonder why things don't work out for you because you're letting the wrong people into your life. The Bible says you need to walk with people who are upstanding people, people who are not going to let you down. It says, show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future. We need to let the right people in our life. So for some of you, the problem isn't letting people in. It's who you're letting in. Let the right people in your life. And on the other hand, some of you are saying, but Brennan, people are toxic. People are difficult. And you're right. Some are. But God has intentionally placed people around you who he wants to use to speak into your life in this season. The next miracle, the next nugget of advice, God wants to give you through someone else. And it has less to do with the person giving it to you and more to do with the posture of your heart. God says, oh, your heart's finally ready to accept some advice? I'll give it to you. I'll even give it to you through your in-law. Quabam, right? Least likely subject. I could go on and on on this. I'm not going to for time. But we're going to pick up the story here. So Moses lets him into his life. He truly lets him in, and Jethro gives him amazing advice. Says the next day Moses took his seat to hear. Well, first of all, Jethro said, I'm coming to work with you. All right, so things aren't going too good? All right, I'm going to come to work with you. That doesn't work, all right? But he said, I'm coming to work. So the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. And they waited before him from morning till evening. And it goes on to say, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do this alone? Usually when people start asking questions and challenging us is when we start pushing them out. Ooh, oh, I didn't know that it was like this. Ah, I'm going to keep you out from now on. But Moses didn't do that. He said, why are you trying to do this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? There was a problem that he had. And the problem was that Moses was doing all of the work. 
And this was his response. Jethro said, why are you doing this? And Moses, you know, he needed to let someone in. He needed to not do it alone. But this was his reply. He said, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they, they come to me. And I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. He said, they, they come to me. I'm the one. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Moses was making it all about himself. And it wasn't a, a pride issue. It was that he thought he had to do it alone. It was that he thought he was the only one who could do it. And, and this was Jethro's response to him. Hold on to your seats for this one, all right? This is what he said. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. First of all, how many of you would receive that from your father-in-law? God bless you, okay? He said, what you're doing is not good. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Have you ever had an in-law say that to you? God rest your soul if they have, man. Like, they ain't here today. You know, we, we you know, mourn their loss all over the room. Is, and, but the real question is, is there anyone in your life who can say what you are doing is not good? And you'll listen to them? Is there anyone around you who can challenge what you're doing and you'll actually hear what they're saying? Or is there nobody in your life where you will hear that from? Are you really at a place where no one can speak into your life and tell you that the thing you're doing is not good and you'll listen? Are you really at a place where the only person who can speak into your life is yourself? Because when we put it in those terms, you and I know that is not a healthy place to be in. But so often, that's the place we find ourselves in. And I, I want to bring you to Proverbs 19, verse 20. This is what the Bible says. It says, you want to do it on your own? Go for it. But this is what's wise. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. And I don't know about you, but I want to be wise. But if you're going to be wise, you have to let someone in. There must be people in my life and in your life who can look us in the eye and in love tell us, I love you, but you're wrong and you need to reconsider. And Moses was wise enough when this happened to him to say, okay, I hear you. I'm listening. Because he wanted the feedback and he took it to heart carefully. And think about how many of us would, would just not take the advice maybe because how it was delivered. How many of you have been put in a situation where someone gave you advice, but just because they said it wrong, it put your walls up and you got defensive? And so you wrote it off because the way they delivered it. But really, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue of how it was delivered. It was an issue of the posture of your heart. Your heart wasn't postured to receive because had you walked into that scenario and said, I need help, it wouldn't have mattered. Your heart would have been like, tell me, any, I don't care how you say it, just tell me what to do. But so often we think our way is right and the way we're doing it is right. It leads me to, to my second point, is we have to stop doing and start leading. If you want a new rhythm, stop trying to be the person who does it all and start leading others. Jethro said, Moses, this isn't good for you or the people. You can't handle this on your own. And if you think you're going to be the one who does it all, you will fail. You're going to wear them out, Jethro said. You're going to let them down. And I want to take this home for a minute because too often we try to do things in our own strength and by ourselves. So if you try to do that, who you're really going to let down is your family. You're going to let your kids down. You're going to let your wife down. You're going to let your parents down. So we got to stop doing this alone. We have to stop isolating and keeping people out of our lives. This is what Jethro told Moses to do. He said, listen, 
if you're gonna if you're gonna figure this out, he said, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. And it goes on to say, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them. This is really important. You need to surround yourself with capable people who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate dishonest gain. Those are the people you need to appoint and allow to speak into your life. And he said this, he said, appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And it goes on to say, have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. This probably saved Moses' life. He was 80 years old. He might have only made it for five more years in this current model. But his father-in-law comes along and says, the thing you're doing isn't working. You need a different strategy if you're going to hang in there, if you're going to last past this season. And the strategy is letting people in. The strategy is empowering people. The strategy is leadership. And this wasn't just good for Moses and his health. Oftentimes what's good for you is good for those around you. Oftentimes when you get healthy, everyone around you gets healthy. Do you ever notice that? That's why it's so important for us as men of God to get healthy. Because if I get healthy, my kids will be healthier. If I get healthy, my wife will get healthier. That's how this works. We need to stop doing and start leading. And I know what a lot of you think when I say leadership. A lot of people in the room go, well, I'm not a leader, so you tune out. But I'm here to let you know leadership isn't a title or a position. It's not the fact that I stand on this stage. Leadership is influence, and God has given each and every one of you a level of influence. Some of you, God's given you the ability to influence one person, and it's your sister. But God wants you to use that influence in a worthy way. Some of you, God's called you to influence 10. Some of you, 100. Some of you, 1,000. Sometimes... We need to let go of our way of doing it. And Moses said this, I'm going to focus on what only I can focus on, what I can do, and I'm going to allow others to carry what they can carry. And the greatest accomplishment of a leader is raising up another leader. The greatest accomplishment you'll have in your life is raising someone else up, is bringing someone with you. And it was good for Moses, but it was also good for his leaders and good for the people. And it's important to remember that the tension to do everything is a real tension. We have a tension to carry everything in our own strength and do everything. But this is really important at this point. We need to manage our life by what's important, not by what is urgent. So often we allow the things that are urgent in our life to dictate our plan. We allow the urgent matters at hand to take precedent over the priorities in our life. But we need to set priorities and do those things, not the demands, not what demands your attention now. And I love the story of Lazarus. Some of you know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. He's about to die. And Martha reaches out to Jesus and she says, Jesus, come quick. Come urgently. Lazarus is sick. I don't know that he's going to make it. And what does Jesus do? He's like, all right. He didn't respond to what was urgent. He didn't respond to that. 
And, and I think it's so funny because have you ever been in an urgent situation? I can think of one right now. Y'all who got kids know you can look at them and you just know when they're about to throw up. And it's like there was this one time I was with my son and they get that look in their eyes. And they're like, oh my gosh, he's a, is he about to, he's about to throw up. And now it's urgent. It's like, babe, babe, where are you? Get a bowl right now. Bring it. Hurry, 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 hurry. And all of a sudden he throws up and you're like, now it doesn't matter anymore. Now, like, don't even bring the bowl. And then she walks in with the bowl. She's like, I got the bowl. You're like, really? Really? Like, it's every, she's like, do you need it still? You're like, I don't need the bowl. I need a vacuum and a shower. Like, I'm covered in vomit. And this is where Martha was. Martha was like, Jesus, I needed you then. He's dead now. He is very much dead. I don't need you anymore. And we say that sometimes. Some of you, you said, well, God, you weren't here when my father died 10 years ago, so I'm just going to take it from here. I don't need you, God. I got it from here. But here's the truth. God wants to do a miracle in your life now. God wants you to let Jesus in. That's the next point. So often we say, God, I needed you then and you weren't there. And he's saying, I still want to do a miracle. And what does Jesus do? He shows up three days later and he raises Lazarus from the dead. I don't know about you, but some of us have been keeping God from some things in our life. Some things that have maybe happened in our past, some struggles that we've faced, some challenges, some tensions that are driving us to isolation. And I think if Lazarus was here today, he'd say, I'm glad that my testimony was that Jesus raised me from the dead because just being healed from sickness isn't as cool. God wants to do something great in your life, but we have to let Jesus in. Jethro, he says this very thing to Moses in Exodus 23. He said, Moses, if if you follow this advice I'm giving you, it's going to work only if, you, if God commands you to do so. He was saying, Moses, this, this is a great plan. But if you don't let Jesus into this, it, I'm telling you it won't work. Some of us, we're, we're okay with settling for a great plan and not letting Jesus in. And then we're dissatisfied with the results. But we need to start letting Jesus in. We need to start letting him in. Because here's the reality. If you do this and God is behind you, who can be against you? Jethro was saying, listen, you do this, and if God commands you to do it, I'm telling you right now, you'll be unstoppable. I'm telling you right now, you'll be renewed. I'm telling you, you'll find a new rhythm. We need to let Jesus in. God wants to be in your mess. You're creating plans. You're living life. You're making decisions. But the problem is we too often do that all alone. And I don't know about you, but I've made some poor decisions in my life. I've made decisions on my own, and I know where it gets me. I've made quick decisions without letting people in. I've experienced the pain that results from that. But at the end of the day, no matter if you've sought advice from friends or trusted people, if you don't let God in, if you don't surrender your plan to God, you're going to miss out on a blessing of God. And maybe this is where you've been stuck. Maybe you're letting people in, but you're still getting the same results because you haven't let God in. Maybe you're surrounded by people, but you're not getting what God has for you. And this is the process we need to start taking. God, is this right? God, is this the road I'm supposed to be on? God, you tell me, God. I'm, I'm submitting this to you. I'm letting you in. God, am I supposed to buy this house? God, am I supposed to date this person? Am I supposed to marry this person? Am I supposed to take this job? God, is this wise? Because if it's not, I've made the plan. I'm ready to do it. But if it's not, I will abandon it to your will because your will and your way is better. Stop keeping God out of the most important decisions in your life. 
We're so good at thinking we can do it on our own and we leave God out of the decisions he needs to be in. I want God's results, not my results.